Good morning, everyone. This week, we are continuing our extended teaching series for the Advent season entitled No Stranger, where we are exploring together not only the story of Jesus' coming, but also stories that highlight the witness of Jesus, that highlight Jesus' empathy with our human experience. As we navigate a holiday season that is shaping up to be dramatically different than what we're accustomed to, and very likely to be devoid of many, if not all, of the experiences and rhythms and relationships that are such a familiar part of everything that we celebrate at this time of year. Last week, we started our series by talking about how Jesus, from the very moment of his coming, was no stranger to chaos. As Luke notes at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus was born in the time of Herod the Great, who was a client king under the Roman government. But despite the fact that Rome had made Herod the reigning king of the Jews, the people of Israel did not accept him because his father was not Jewish. And so Herod did not have the all-important ancestral right to be a Jewish king. And basically, everyone knew it. And because of that, Herod never felt secure about his position, which fueled the reputation that he had for being paranoid and violent. And as we noted last time, that paranoia and violence dominated the cultural landscape during his reign. Well, this morning, as we continue on with the story of Jesus' coming, we're going to see that that chaos of Herod was something that very directly and very personally and very significantly impacted Jesus in a way that would fundamentally inform his mission. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so we hear there that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, some Magi, which is a Greek word that means astrologers or magicians or interpreters of dreams. Some magi came from the east after they had seen a star rise in the sky, and they came looking for the one who had been born as the king of the Jews. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 says that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so when Herod heard that there were magi rattling around Jerusalem, looking for a newborn king, it created for him some kind of a disturbance in the force. And I love the very subtle but very vivid picture of Herod that we get from that last phrase in verse 3. Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was disturbed, and so all of Jerusalem was disturbed as well. So the implication very much is that when things were not well with Herod, it wasn't a fun time for anybody in his kingdom. 
which of course reinforces the chaos of Herod's reign. And so Herod calls in the chief priests. He calls in the teachers of the law for a consult about where the Messiah was to be born. And after the religious leaders tell Herod that according to the prophet Micah, that the place was Bethlehem, Matthew chapter 2 verse 7 says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, as the Magi went on their way, the star that they had seen that had led them to Jerusalem rose again and went on ahead of them until it stopped at the place where Jesus was. And Matthew says that after they worshiped Jesus, the Magi were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they returned home by a different route. And then listen to what happens next in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so, by the time Herod realized that the Magi were not coming back with the information that he wanted, the baby Jesus had already been smuggled out of Bethlehem. But Herod, of course, didn't know that. What he did know, what he did think, was that a threat to his position and a threat to his power remained. And that made Herod furious. And in response, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 says that the king gave the unthinkable orders for all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under to be killed. And so once again, we see the paranoia and we see the violence of Herod on display as he took horrific measures to ensure that no Messiah would oppose him. Well, based on the angel's warning, Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus and fled. And what an arresting transition that must have been as they suddenly abandoned their home, abandoned their relationships, abandoned whatever sense of livelihood that they had developed in Bethlehem for Egypt, which was definitely not the most highly sought-after zip code. According to New Testament commentator Craig Keener, many Judeans traditionally regarded refuge in Egypt as a last resort. But that is, nevertheless, where Joseph and Mary and Jesus went, experiencing all the uncertainties of being displaced, as well as the difficulties and hardships 
of living in the place that so many deemed as a last resort. And they survived there as refugees until Herod's death. When Joseph was again visited by an angel of the Lord in a dream and instructed to return with his family to Israel. But even with that news, since Herod's son had taken his father's place in Judea, and since, as the saying goes, the apple often doesn't fall far from the tree, Joseph and Mary and Jesus didn't move back to Bethlehem. It was too close to danger. Instead, they settled in a small village in Galilee, called Nazareth, with the hope, perhaps, of living safely in obscurity. Well, Matthew's account of Jesus' birth is definitely not the story of of the baby Jesus idyllically lying in a manger, surrounded by farm animals, and being visited by a band of shepherds. Instead, it is very much the story of Jesus being born into a cradle of chaos, a displacement and relocation, and all the accompanying uncertainties of living somewhere that was not his home is a part of the very fabric of the story and a part of the very fabric of Jesus' story and experience. And so, from the early moments of his life, Jesus was no stranger to marginalization. He was no stranger to the experience of being a foreigner and an alien and an outsider. And that was something that would ultimately be at the very heart of his mission. Fast forward now to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in Luke chapter 4. Jesus enters the synagogue in the hometown of Nazareth, opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those words from Isaiah chapter 61 looked forward to a Messiah who would come and deliver God's people from exile. They looked forward to a Messiah who would come and embody God's heart for the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, and the oppressed by bringing mercy and redemption and restoration. And Luke says that when Jesus finished reading, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and announced, today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so, after reading from Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus sat down and boldly announced that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. That the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and that he had been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, to recover sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And the story of Jesus' birth 
powerfully reminds us that that divine mission that Jesus was stepping into was also a deeply lived experience for Jesus. Jesus' own story, his own human experience was very much aligned with the heart of the kingdom that he came to inaugurate. And as his public ministry continued to unfold, as he went on his way from the synagogue in Nazareth that day, Jesus very much embodied God's heart for the marginalized, starting with his gathering of his disciples. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee when he started to call some fishermen to follow him. And after Simon and Andrew dropped their nets and James and John left their father's boat to begin their journey to become fishers of men, Mark chapter 2 verse 14 says that as he walked along, Jesus saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so Jesus sees Levi sitting at a tax collector's booth. He invites Levi to follow him. And then the next thing you know, Jesus, Simon, Andrew, James, and John are all at Levi's house sharing a meal along with a bunch of other tax collectors and sinners. Now, I want us to try to imagine all of this from the perspective of Simon, Andrew, James, and John. But to do that, we have to back up a bit. In the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, education was huge. From the time a child was six, they started learning the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. And by the time they were 10, dutiful students had all of that memorized. And then between the ages of 10 and 14, they worked on memorizing the rest of the Old Testament, the Psalms, the prophets, and the writings. And then at that point, at the age of 14, the best of the best would study under a rabbi. And that was actually what boys wanted to do because teachers were among the most respected people of the day. And so this was a common ambition. Now, the fact that Simon, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen meant that they were not among the best and the brightest. They weren't following a rabbi. They were working a trade instead. But Jesus, as he walked along the shore and invited them to follow after him, had given them the unexpected chance to follow a teacher. Now, given all of that, imagine what it must have been like 
for these fishermen to have had Jesus come along, to have accepted his invitation, to have reoriented their lives in order to follow him, leaving their business and their trade of fishing. And then after doing all of that, one of the first things that Jesus does is ask Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. Tax collectors were not popular at all in Jesus' day. And that's because they effectively made their living by charging people on top of the taxes that they actually owed to Rome. And Jewish tax collectors were especially loathed because they were not just collecting funds for the Roman government, the very government that was exploiting the Jewish people. They were also exploiting their own people for their own personal gain. And because of all of that, tax collectors were social outcasts. But it gets even more interesting because if Levi was a tax collector in Capernaum, where fish were one of the commodities that were regularly taxed in the region, then it's likely that Simon, Andrew, James, and John already knew him really well when they came upon him with Jesus and knew him well, not in a good way, right? Because he had collected taxes from them. And now, not only has Levi, the tax collector, been invited to follow along with Jesus, they also suddenly find themselves in his house for dinner, which, according to the customs around hospitality in the ancient Near East, was hugely symbolic. Because to eat dinner at someone's table implied that you accepted them. And then, as if all of that weren't enough, the teachers of the law are there barking at Simon, Andrew, James, and John about why Jesus is eating with all of these people. Well, Jesus, of course, knew exactly what he was doing. He was bringing grace and mercy and redemption and restoration and love and dignity to those on the margins. And he wanted Simon, Andrew, James, and John to experience that from the very beginning, because that was Jesus's mission. That was Jesus's calling. And in addition to being his mission and calling, it was also his own shared experience as well. And all of that was punctuated by Jesus's response to this questioning by the Jewish religious leaders. Mark chapter 2, verse 17 says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Simon, Andrew, James, and John followed Jesus into a place that they would likely never have gone otherwise. And in doing that, they experienced a tremendously profound glimpse 
of what the kingdom of God looks like as a result. And as we continue to carry out Jesus' mission, he similarly invites us to follow him into those places as well. To see and to love and to care for God's beloved who are living on the margins among us. And while there are definitely many barriers to physically following Jesus into spaces like Levi's house today because of the COVID pandemic, one fantastic opportunity to allow God to shape our hearts for our neighbors on the margins during this time of quarantine and social distance is through prayer. Now, since the beginning of the pandemic, there has been a huddled band of people uh, praying every Thursday morning at 7.15 for our neighbors who are vulnerable during this COVID season. And beginning this Thursday, through the end of the year, uh, we'll be joined by some of our local ministry partners who are on the ground serving the marginalized in our neighborhoods in the midst of the pandemic. And it's a great way for now for us to press into our calling as Jesus' followers and allow God to shape our hearts after his own as we learn more about how we can love and how we can pray for our vulnerable neighbors as well as those who are supporting them. And you should be there. It's definitely early, but as we seek to live into our calling to carry on Jesus's mission, it's important that we follow Jesus into those spaces that make us familiar with and not strangers to the marginalized. So I want to extend a very tangible challenge to you this morning. And the challenge is to commit to come and pray on Thursday mornings at 7.15, beginning this week, through the end of the year. It's going to be four sessions. You can do it. And I'm guessing that you will be filled in a way that makes each of those sessions the highlight of your week. To join, you can send me an email. It's the simplest way to do it, john at highway.org, and I'll send you the Zoom link. Jesus was no stranger to marginalization. May that be true of us as well as we follow after him. Father, thank you for this season where we remember and celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus, as we wait with anticipation for his return. Lord, we are humbled by Jesus' journey and the way that the story of his coming really shaped and informed the mission that you had for him. And Father, as we seek as your followers to have our hearts shaped after yours, would you give us courage to love as Jesus loved? Would you bring awareness 
and familiarity and conviction for the things that you care about? And would you show us the sacrifices that we can make, very real and tangible sacrifices that we can make in order to love others well? As we do that, Father, may we experience the presence of your kingdom in this place. Amen.